Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let's throw some names at you right quick. Cooper Rush, Trevor Simeon, Mike White. The hell are those three guys? Because they all won NFL games yesterday. Never mind that so-called generational draft class. They all won NFL games, and so did Geno Smith. So what does that tell you? It tells you that you should never, ever let anybody tell you that your dreams cannot come true. If anybody says that your goal is too high or your dream is out of reach, you just point to Cooper Rush, Trevor Simeon, and Mike White. And the fact that they all went legend at the exact same time. And then you can chase that with Geno Smith putting up a 128.3 passer rating against the Jags. Then you get your ass back on your grind. And when the haters come for you, you tell them that Cooper Rush went for 325 yards in prime time on Sunday night. The guy who had not thrown an NFL pass in four years shows up looking like the greatest redheaded quarterback ever. Never mind the alleged red rifle. This dude was an absolute laser show. There was this to Cedric Wilson in the third quarter. Shotgun snap, three-step drop for Rush, and throws deep middle. Got him in, it's on target, it's caught by Wilson in midfield. Loose in the middle of the field at the 40, at the 30, at the 20. Cuts left to the 10, to the 5. Dies for the end zone, touchdown! On third down and eight, it's a 73-yard touchdown strike by Cooper Rush. Westwood won. Holy crap, you talk about laser show. A dart. 73 yards if you're counting. Not bad for your first NFL TD pass ever. And when the Cowboys needed somebody to save that game for them in the final three minutes, who was it? Cooper Rush. He led the 75-yard drive in two minutes, and this guy was coming up huge on third down. Third down at 11. Minute four to go. Cowboys down three. Snap to Rush. Three-step drop. Pressure coming off the edge. He throws short left. It's caught by Elliott at the 15. Breaks a tackle. 10 down to the 5. Wow. And brought down there. He got the first down. Hell yes. And Cooper bleeping Rush is not settling for any damn field goals. He's not about that life. That's not his deal. He is looking to house it. Snap to Rush. Back to throw a fade left side of the end zone. Cooper oh, goes up high. And he pulls it in for the go-ahead touchdown. Amari Cooper from Cooper Rush. And the Cowboys lead 19-16 with 51 seconds to go. Cooper Rush waited for 51 seconds to go to throw his best pass of the night. Wow. How about them, Cowboys? How about them, Cowboys? Yeah! How about that, Ginger? Yeah! Six and one. And a huge win in prime time. On the road, Without Dak Prescott and with Big Mike McCarthy as their head coach. Unbelievable, right? But as good as that was for Cooper Rush, it was just that bad for the Vikes. They get a home game against a guy who had never started an NFL game. That was supposed to be a free spin. Instead, it was an ugly, ugly loss. Safety Xavier Woods was asked about the Vikings defense getting ready for Rush Preparing for Rush, his response was, and I quote, we weren't, end of quote. They weren't. They weren't prepared. The guy just owned it. He admitted it. We were not prepared for this guy. You know, on the one hand, I get it. You don't want to spend an entire week prepping for the Red Storm, only to have Dak come up in there and light you up. 
but never a great look to admit, quote, we weren't preparing for the guy who just put up three bills on you. Never a great look to say we weren't prepared and couldn't adjust to a guy making his first NFL start or making his first start in a number of years. A Mike Zimmer coach team at home couldn't handle that guy? Somehow hearing them admit it is even worse than seeing it. Not only not handle, but weren't prepared. Never a good look when your offense also vanishes for chunks of the game and is in a complete and total mess in the final minute of that game. Not a good look when your fullback C.J. Ham has more receptions than star receiver Justin Jefferson. Never a good look when the offense is 1 for 13 on third downs. And never a good look when Kirk Cousins has eight third down passes that do not even reach the sticks. So yes, I'm going to start by putting some respect on Dallas for going in there and handling their business. But I want to put nearly as much disrespect on Minnesota for not handling theirs. And that is a bad loss. Cooper Rush just outplayed Kirk Cousins in Cousins' house. It's a bad thing if you're the Vikes. But it was not all good news for redheaded quarterbacks. And I really was hoping it was. I mean, wouldn't that have been a great storyline? Check out all the redheads just killing the game. I wish I could say it, but I can't because Carson Wentz, well... Carson Wentz did something that I've never seen before. And let me just go ahead and warn you ahead of time. This next play is graphic in nature. So if this sort of thing makes you squeamish, you might want to look away for a moment. Maybe turn your volume down for a second or two. Because we have a phrase to describe this type of play and decision making. Complete and total ass. Serial ass. Because there will never, ever be a play as horrible as this one. The Colts take over on their own eight-yard line. Less than a minute and a half to go in that game. So, the very obvious plan. Get some breathing room first. Move the sticks. Move down the field. Get into field goal range. Win the game. That's the plan. Except Wentz did this instead. Wentz. Play fake, standing in the end zone. He's in trouble. He tries to left-hand it out. It's intercepted by Molden. Touchdown, Titans! Wentz made a massive mistake, and Elijah Molden, the rookie, is there to snatch the gift out of the air and take it into the end zone. Uh-oh! Titans Radio, the old let it rip with your offhand only to split the numbers of a defender about five feet from you and have it blow up in your face for a pick six. I'm not even kidding. That might be the worst INT in the history of that league. I mean, I mean that. You will never see a worse interception in your life. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. That's a guarantee. There will never be anything worse than that. Never be anything worse than backpedaling into the end zone and just heaving it with your offhand. Hey, go ahead and take it. I don't want it. You can have it. I mean, that's insane. And yeah, I know Frank Reich's going to take some for calling a screen there, but I'm not sure anybody anywhere expected something as ridiculous as that pass from Carson Wentz. I mean, really ridiculous. He picked a really bad time to throw a really ridiculous pass. His second pick of the season. And if you've got an interception like that in you, how do you get that far into the season With only one pick, that's almost as ridiculous onto itself. 
The thing about this guy, though, he played really well of late. And the fact is, he did bounce back. He bounced right back. Five plays, 75 yards in 64 seconds for a TD to tie it. Then chucks a game-killing INT in OT. What an absolute and ridiculous roller coaster. Like the worst of Wentz, followed by the best of Wentz, followed by the worst again in a matter of moments. Good win. Good, good win for the Titans, but coming at an enormous cost. According to Adam Schefter, Derrick Henry suffered a potentially season-ending foot injury in yesterday's game. He's set to undergo an MRI today to determine the damage. Man, that sounds brutal. It feels brutal. It seems brutal. Losing Henry would not just be a gut punch for the Titans. That could wreck their entire season. Because nobody means more to that team than Derrick Henry. In fact, nobody means more to any team, I think, than Derrick Henry does to the Titans. Yeah, I said it. Nobody means more to their team in that league than Derrick Henry does to the Titans. In other words, if he's done for the year, that's not just a season-ending injury. That could be a season-destroying injury. And a pretty horrible way to find out that this guy is, in fact, human. Devastating blow to both he and the team. Speaking of players getting banged up, time to check in on the Steelers' quote, quarterback Chris Boswell because he took a hell of a shot yesterday didn't he roll it there's the snap it's a fake he's rolling right he's looking he's looking he's running he throws it for the back of the end zone and it is incomplete too high for Zach Gentry and Boswell shaken up on the play is down on the near sideline it sure looked like he got whacked right towards the end oh it didn't look like it he was like dudes looking, 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 rolling. Like you saw Joe Montana looking for Dwight Clark. Rolling, rolling, bam! Smashed up. I mean, I'm not surprised that he was done for the game after that. I'm surprised he got up. Now, the good news is he posted an action shot of himself looking to pass with the message, quote, Thanks for all the well wishes and prayers. I am doing okay. Dressed up as a QB for Halloween and got spooked. End of post with a couple of laughing emojis. <laughs> Nothing but respect for a guy taking a shot like that and then cracking jokes about it on Instagram. Pretty impressive. So if you're anything like me, your weekend plans include kicking back and watching live sports. And it doesn't matter what sport you're watching. It is always better to have a little bit of action. Personally, I've got my week nine eye on the game between Green Bay and Kansas City. This is why I'm going to recommend downloading the WinBet app right now. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager. From straight bets to parlays, teasers, and any exotic prop wager you can come up with. The app is so easy to use. Everybody knows that Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines. Join in on the action. This is why I'm going to recommend once again that you download that WinBet app right now. Download the WinBet app on Google Play or in the Apple App Store and put yourself in the game. Win with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Let me tell you something else impressive. Yes, the Browns, my Browns. Yes, I know they lost. Yes, I know they're busted up. But if you're waiting for them to quit, 
You're going to wait a long uh, time because it's just not in their DNA. This is a minor setback for a major comeback. Now, let me close out the opening segment, or at least the opening recap, with something positive, something upbeat. A lot of times when I talk about the Bears on this show, it's because they're garbage. Garbage. And they're in the news for all the wrong reasons, or both. And generally, it involves me clowning their head coach and their GM. And that they're garbage. Except not this time. This time, I'm going to play an amazing play from the Bears and then not say anything negative about it at all. Fake one way. Fox on the call. Let me tell you something. Justin Fields, if you need him. Justin Fields getting so nice. I'm telling you, that was awesome. It was great to see that. Great to see Bears fans finally have something to get hyped about. You see, I'm only being positive. Finally. Only being positive about the Bears. One quick question, though. Remember when the Bears were starting Andy Dalton earlier this year? What the hell was that about? I mean, seriously, what were they thinking? I know their offensive line is crap. I know you don't want to get your rookie killed or traumatized. But it was pretty dumb to say that Dalton was better a few weeks back. And it's even more insane to say it right now. Who not named Matt Nagy would try to get anybody anywhere to believe that? Right. But I'm here to keep it positive, Bears fans, so I will. Your team is still complete and utter garbage. But that run by Justin Fields was absolutely electric. It was awesome. It really was. And one more thought, and I'll get into some uh, more NFL a little bit later on. I just want to state right here. Pete Carroll clearly took my message last week to heart. You know that one about if you lose to Herb, Pete? If you lose to Herb and the Jags, you ought to resign right there on the spot and then get your job back at USC. You're welcome, Pete. And one more message. This is for all of you. And some of you, I need to kind of school up on this. But let me just say one more message. Two words. Gamble responsibly. Gamble responsibly. Like, for instance, me. If I did not, Janet and Logan would have come home from that college trip to an estate sale. A sign out on my front yard. You know, a table of our stuff on the driveway. Me putting price tags on my Radio Hall of Fame trophy. And Logan's weights. And Janet would be like, hey, what happened? What happened? What's going on here? And I would look at her. And in complete exasperation, I would say, what happened? What happened? I'll say what happened. Mike effing white happened. That's what happened. Mike bleeping white. That's what happened. If I didn't gamble responsibly. If you didn't gamble responsibly. Jano. Club Jano would have been like, um, what is that Uber sticker doing on my car? And why does yours have a Lyft sticker on your car? Oh, that. Yeah, that's, that's. My second job and your first job. That's what that is, sweetheart. Welcome home.
flexible hours, good pay. Get <laughs> we get to meet all sorts of new people. We're going to have a lot of friends, and you love people. You know this. And you're always telling me, come on, man, be more sociable. Well, I'm going to be. As a Lyft driver, and you get to even expand your base by being an Uber driver. Uh, okay. Whatever we have to do, why? Mike bleeping white? Who's that? Anyway, I downloaded the app onto your phone. I think there's somebody who needs you over there in Turtle Rock. They need a a ride to the airport. Good news is it's LAX. Good news is it's the Santa Barbara airport. 1-800-68. Hey, Logan, Logan, that lawn down the street, not mowing itself. Uh, Okay, Dad, how come I have to go mow their lawn? Uh, Son, did you not hear what I just said to your mother? Mike bleeping white. That's why mom has an Uber sticker on her car and dad has a Lyft sticker on his car and why you need to push that lawnmower because that lawnmower is not going to push itself. Gamble responsibly. So let me ask you something, and you tell me, does this sound familiar? You've got that one device that allows you to catch the game live, and then another that lets you stream your favorite shows, and you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbors, best friends, dads, moms, login for all the good stuff. Yet, let me tell you a better way, a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love without all that hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorite together like never before so you can watch all your favorite sports movies and shows in one place that means no more juggling remotes no need to buy another device ever again and the very best part there is no annual contract get rid of the clutter and the confusion get your tv together with direct tv stream you can learn more at directtv.com that's directtv.com Compatible device required. Content varies by package. He is Charles Davis. Charles, great to have you back. How are you? It's great to be back. Thanks for having me, Jim. Trust you are well. You and yours? Super. How about you and yours? Oh, we're doing we're doing great. We were we consider ourselves fortunate each and every day, you know? That's the best attitude. I appreciate that too. Charles Davis, our guest. All right, so Charles, the Rams are at it again. There are reports <laughs> that they're sending a second and a third to Denver for Von Miller. Let me first get your reaction to that deal and how do you think he fits with the Rams defense? One, it's so Rams, right. isn't it? Less need is the general manager. He's been aggressive since the day he took this job. And, Jim, I, I, have, I have to believe, I forget believing, I know for a fact, many people thought that with all the aggressive moves Les has made over the years, that that bill would come due, and it wouldn't have enough attached to it. Meaning, hey, you're going so aggressive, you're mortgaging your future, you're not getting anything out of it. Well, that wouldn't be correct. They've been to a Super Bowl. <laughs> Last year they got to the playoffs when no one thought they would get there. This year they're, they're tied for first place in their division and they're making another move to try and get back to a Super Bowl. I would say that what he has done, people can you know say, oh, well, the draft picks and what you're giving away. Look, it's all about winning. I feel like he's, in a lot of ways, he's channeling the ghost of George Allen, isn't he? The future is now. Mm. And they're going out and getting it. It's the same franchise. Now, obviously, Allen was Rams and, of course, Washington, where the future is now was really coined. And you remember when he went back to the Rams, they, they fired him in preseason. But for left, 
I think he's done an exceptional job that way. As far as what it means for this team, it means everything. Jim, we know that Von Miller didn't go this past weekend because Vic Fangio was worried. Is he really ready? Is he not? Do you think there's any doubt he'll be ready for Dallas this week? No, none whatsoever. In fact, I really like what I'm seeing from him. I like that analogy, too, because I'm old enough to remember George Allen and the deals that he made. So I like that analogy a lot. Charles Davis joining us. Oh, no, I think he'll be ready. Listen, let me just jump quickly to this. You were on the call of the Patriots-Chargers game here in L.A. Bill Belichick, Charles, is the master of most things when it comes to coaching. But what is it about him that makes him so tough on young opposing quarterbacks? Because Justin Herbert had another tough day. It's crazy, isn't it? Because we had a stat with Herbert, and you pointed it out. Last year, the Patriots go in there and beat them 45-0. to The crazy part is, since that time, the Patriots have had a losing record, and the Chargers were 8-2 and from that game. The second crazy stat was, in Justin Herbert's young career, teams that had beaten him the first time, he was 5-0 and against them the second time around mm. with zero interceptions, 14 touches, the whole deal, right? What I think it is with Bill Belichick is, is the same things we've always talked about. Who are your primary weapons? How do we reduce them and take away plays to them? Mike Williams was almost invisible yesterday, Jim. Okay, and, and I know he's been on a little roller coaster with his stats, but at the same time, this is a guy who put up 165 against Cleveland, 122 in the winning touchdown against Kansas City. We rarely we called his name only because they weren't throwing the ball to him and right. couldn't get it to him. Keenan Allen did not wreck them. You know, a play here, a play there did not wreck them. They made sure they limited that, and of course, they don't run the football. I, I kind of put, I kind of liken them to Buffalo. They are throwing teams that sprinkle in the run, and with Herbert, you get a little more RPO, and well, you get the same thing with Josh Allen. But I just think that Bill Belichick does such a wonderful job of doing that. I think one of the things that he's told his team in recent weeks that they've really locked in on is to be a winning team, you can't just make the plays that are available. You've got to make the plays during quality time, during, during the time where the four-minute offense is paramount, where you need the game-winning drive, where you need the, you know, the, the stop on defense. And yesterday, how about the way they finished that one off? Almost a seven-minute drive, Jim, to kick the field goal to go up 10. Jalen Mills, i still not quite sure what he was doing to give up the touchdown pass late. But for the most part, they executed exactly what he's looking for. I agree with you. Charles Davis, our guest, and it was Mac Jones who led that seven-minute drive expertly. Now, the week before, you were on the Kansas City-Tennessee game. Kansas City back in action against the Giants tonight. Charles, they look pretty mortal right about now. From your perspective, what is the Chiefs' biggest concern right now? Biggest concern is still on the defensive side of the ball, Jim. There's no getting around it. And, and I don't think anyone who works in the NFL or works around the NFL doesn't love Steve Spagnuolo, the defense right. coordinator. I agree with that. And, 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 look, let's be honest about it. His track record is pretty darn good because he reminds me a little bit of the old Herman Boone line and remember the Titans. Yeah, the coach, your playbook's a little thin, isn't it? Yeah, but it's like Novocaine. It takes a while, but it works every time. <laughs> That's the way Spags is. Right? How many times have we talked about early in the season where they struggled and this and that, and then down the stretch, they're wiped out? His problem, I think, this year is he hasn't had any consistency on that side of the ball, and they don't have the margin for error because I don't think they have enough depth over there. Okay, So when Chris Jones is unable to play for multiple games, okay, you're not getting someone that looks like Chris Jones. The other part is 
I think Chris Jones is a better tackle than he is an end. <laughs> you know, I think he's a wrecking ball inside. He's still learning his way out at end. Not that he can't be a great one, but he's not there yet. Charvarius Ward, starting corners, missed a ton of ball games. Tyron Matthew missed the opener. Uh, Frank Clark missed a bunch of games as a pass rusher on the other side. So they're struggling on that side of the ball. Anthony Hitchens, their signal callers, missed the last two last two ball games. No consistency, no continuity. Can they get it down the stretch? And what it has done is, whether Patrick Mahomes is going to say it or not, and I never expect to hear it come out of his mouth, I think he is a tremendous leader for that football team because he always points to himself first. I think that he has been pressing to try and make up for what's going on with the defense. Because during the stretch when they were still, you know, offense before the Tennessee game, Jim, they were averaging over 31 points a game. But the defense was giving up 33. Right. <laughs> That's, you know, all the defense has to do is get one more stop. And you're winning more ball games. That's how that. So I do believe he's been pressing some, and it's affected the rest of the offense. I think so. Charles Davis joining us. All right. So one more thought before I let you go. What about the Titans? They are six and two. They have won four straight, but yesterday's win is really costly in the sense that they may have lost Derrick Henry for the rest of the year. Charles, if in fact that's the case, how completely does that change their season? Where does that leave them? I think it changes, Jim, their identity in a big way because their identity is wrapped up in number 22, which is wrapped up in the head coach, which is how he wants to play the game. He wants to line up and beat you up up front, and he's got the horse to do it with. Now, no, let's say there's no Henry for an extended period of time. Jeremy McNichols was a big-time running back at Boise State, but in the NFL, he's had trouble latching on the teams. He's become a third-down guy. Darrington Evans, the guy they drafted uh, last year, has not been able to stay healthy, so he's not available now. He's on season-ending IR. Where do you go to get that guy? You know, they're going to work out Adrian Peterson, I'm hearing. Everyone's screaming, go get Todd Gurley. I think those are short-term stopgap replacements if, indeed, they do sign one of those guys. But here's the hidden part for me. Ryan Tannehill is more than capable of throwing the football and more than capable of running offense through him now, you're going to need Julio Jones full-time, but A.J. Brown had 10 catches yesterday. Anthony Ferkser is a capable tight end. They'll be able to do enough there, but the identity changes because Mike Rabel wants to just pound you, beat you up, make it a physical four-quarter game. They may have to change their identity a little bit and let Brian Tannehill go, as my dad used to say, high, wide, and handsome for a while. <laughs> Great. He is an NFL and CBS analyst. He is an NFL network analyst. He is a Madden analyst and a good friend of this program. He is Charles Davis. Charles, great to have you back, man. Thank you very much. Have a great week. I hope we can do it again soon. Anytime, Jim. You know that. You take care of yourself. Best to everyone. You too. Appreciate you. So are you craving some protein after a good workout? I know I am. This time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire, and it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you, and if you don't see it, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? I really hate to say it, and I'm going to need some more time to set this up, but... Houston, Jacksonville, Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville, and Detroit, this is for you. And I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, but your teams are hot garbage. Garbage. I'm not looking to pile on. I'm not looking to take a run at you. 
I'm not looking to hot take you. I'm just spitting truth. And the truth is, your teams are trash. The best way to sum up all three teams is to simply play the legendary Adam Jones interview about Terrell Pryor. I know you talked about it, Adam. What, Garbage. What, what did that start with right there, Terrell? Garbage. Hey, no, right there, bro. Oh. Hey, no. Get him out of there. You see him in there? Oh. Right there. You better find him somebody to play with. Is it him saying basically he could Garbage. Garbage. All right, Adam. Aside from Terrell, how big is it for you guys? Garbage. I ain't talking about nothing else. I'm happy we won. All right, cool. Terrell Pryor, garbage. All right. Absolutely incredible and underrated and not getting enough credit. That whole interview, like the people asking questions could not even get the questions out when Adam already had the answer ready, locked and loaded, garbage. I mean, I could do this entire take and just keep repeating the word garbage. Forget looking for the Lions, the Jags, and the Texans on the scoreboard. Just look for them in the trash can. Because they're garbage. Garbage. What's really interesting to me, though, is to see the way each team reacted to it. The way each team has dealt with it. Like, the Texans are tanking, and they're not even pretending anymore. They came into yesterday's game having been outscored 62-8 to in their last two games, and then promptly fell behind the Rams 38-0. They've been outscored 100-8 to in 11 quarters before getting the ultimate garbage garbage time points yesterday. The only question about the Texans this year is whether they'll trade their franchise quarterback and how the hell they beat Jacksonville. Then again, it is a good thing that these guys beat the Jags or they'd be plummeting towards 0-17 with nothing to break their fall. Not that they would care. And speaking of them beating Jacksonville, that loss looked terrible. For Urban Meyer at that time. And looks even more hideous right now. And don't let the final score fool you. Houston was in fact down 38 nothing. They're 1-7 on the year. And the only team they've beaten is Jacksonville. Who just fell to 1-6 after losing to Seattle 31-7. Yes, that'll happen. You can say that. That'll happen. That'll happen when you face Russell Wilson and the Legion of Boom. Except it wasn't any of that. It was Geno Smith, and you got wrecked by a team that had lost three straight going into yesterday. Herb's crew was coming off a win, followed by a bye, and then they came out and they got smashed right out of the gate. Yet, for some reason, Herb didn't see it coming and was completely shocked by the way it unfolded. I didn't see that coming. I saw a good week of practice, and guys freshened up from a bye week and we got down 14 nothing and we got out of a you know we're, we're not built to th- just be a throw team and we got out of the run game and and uh and then the penalties were nonsense did you just say you're not built to be a throw team actually you're not built to be an nfl team just like you're not built to be an nfl head coach you get a win in london you come back you rest up and then you come out and you fall behind 24 nothing to a banged-up Seattle team that has lost three straight. Like Jacksonville, they embarrassed themselves in every way imaginable. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence having another bad game and then saying afterwards, quote, we played like crap today. End of quote. Defense punked repeatedly in the first quarter. And by the way, a really poorly coached team. 
really undisciplined football team. They had 12 penalties. They needed to score in the final two minutes just to avoid being shut out by a Seattle team that had all sorts of trouble coming in. And even when they did that, they chased it with an onside kick that was an utter disaster. Here we go, the onside kick again, right, and kicks it right to Homer, who picks it up on the run, and he's all the way down to the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown Seahawks! Travis Homer gets it right back. Urban Meyer might think twice before he practices onside kicks again. I can't remember the last time I saw that. No, but was anybody surprised by that? Seahawk radio. Of course not. Like the most Jacksonville thing ever. Check that. The most herb thing ever. Not only did it not work, they housed it. <laughs> what an amazing moment. Deanne Josh Allen called the game, quote, depressing and embarrassing. Miles Jack also called it embarrassing. This is humiliating. It's embarrassing and it's not something that anybody wants to be a part of. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, Miles. Here's the thing. When Herb was saying things like, oh, this is heartbreaking. This is devastating. That's devastating. Yeah, you know, you just write that up to, like, write that off as a guy. He has no idea what he's talking about at that level with those guys. But when you have NFL vets start saying after a game, man, this is embarrassing, this is humiliating, then that's a real problem. Real problem. Those guys don't say things like that. And when you hear them using words like, this is embarrassing, and humiliating, man, that's pretty damn near rock bottom. And it's not just one guy saying it. We are playing like, listen to the, the way they're phrasing these things. We're playing like crap. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. Like, I don't want to drag Herb's salary into this because I celebrate anybody making as much money as they possibly can. But how the hell does that guy get paid that much money to do so little? Has that team improved anywhere since that guy arrived? Like he's a walking, talking distraction who is in so far over his head, he can't tell up from down anymore. They are a disaster. And it could get worse before it gets better because it's not getting better at all. Hey, check this. From the very first moment I sat in my X chair, my body immediately was like, ah, this is incredible. This is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I'm telling you, I never actually look forward to sitting in my office until I got my X chair, and now I do. Fact. You tell me this. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Mine can, because I've got an X chair. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can, and it's all in the L Max massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel that customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never ever be happy in any other chair ever again. Take my advice try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and get 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairrome.com. Sean Casey is my guest. Sean, what's going on? How are you? Romy, what's up, brother? How's everything going? Good, dude, good. How about you, Sean? 
I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Loving this World Series, brother. Yeah, right? Let's get right to that. In fact, let's not get right to that. I need to know first the important stuff. How did Halloween treat you, Sean? <laughs> oh, man, it treated me great, brother. My, I, will, my, I still have a, my young uh, daughter, Jillian, is 11, and she was like, Dad, you know, can you get dressed up this year? I'm like, let's do it. And then all of a sudden, I put together this cop outfit really quick, and, uh, and she was a hippie, and we went trick-or-treating yesterday, and it was one of the funnest uh, Halloweens I've had in a long time. Dude, you are the absolute <laughs> best. What a great thing. Sean Casey joining us. That is so good. All right, so I'm glad I asked you that. Now, the Astros win last night. to get the World Series back to Houston. Jose Altuve scored a couple of times. Carlos Correa had three hits, drove in two runs last night. You've made the point that Houston's best players hit good pitching. Bottom line, Sean, it's great to get contributions from the likes of Martin Maldonado, but ultimately, how much of their success comes down to guys like Altuve and Correa. I mean, at the end of the day, they're your money makers. They're the guys you lean on, right? They're your your big time guys. I think the crazy thing, Romy, when you go back and look at that game, they go down four nothing with a grand slam from Duvall. The place in Atlanta is going crazy, you know. But one thing about being in a being in a dugout and being on a team in baseball, when a team scores early. You always come in that dugout and say, hey, listen, let's chip away. Let's get one. Let's get two. And the Braves come back with two quickly and then all of a sudden scored nine runs. They didn't hit a home run. And that was my point about this Braves lineup is that they hit really good pitching. You know, Minter has been so nasty this whole series. They scored a few runs off him. You mentioned it. Maldonado came up big with a few RBIs. Dusty has kept, kept him in the lineup throughout this series. So I'm just glad it's a series. I'm glad we're going back to Houston for game six. Atlanta's playing great baseball right now. And, uh, you know, the Astros are really going to have to figure out what their pitching looks like for six and seven. Right, Sean. To your point, I'm glad it's a series. I'm glad they're going back there. Let me ask you about Alex Bregman, for instance. He's been struggling at the plate for Houston. If you're in a situation like that, is the solution to try to work harder before games, study film, get into the cage, or do you just somehow try to figure out a way to try easier? How would you approach it? Well, that's a great, great question, Romy, because, you know, Smoltz was saying yesterday that, that Bregman was working on that, and then he came up with that huge double in the right center gap to kind of get things going. I know for me, you know, I think it's, it's one of those feel things. Like Bregman, a guy like, that likes to do film, you're looking at that film to try and get a feel. So when you go to batting practice, you're like, there it is. It's, it's, you're just trying to boost your confidence any way you can. So I think Bregman is more of a guy that likes to kind of overlook, analyze his swing and get that feel piece. And I, I think, like I said, when you see a guy like Bregman go to right center, I know for me as a hitter, I was a lefty. When I went to left center, I'm like, bam, I got something here. So it would be interesting to see what Bregman shows up in game six because when you go to right center like that with authority, it means you found something. We're talking to Sean Casey. Sean, one thing about Atlanta, what's it say about Atlanta that the talk before was they were going to be sellers before the deadline. They were below 500 in early August. They lose Charlie Martin in game one, and they're still just one win away from winning it all. What's that tell you about them and their culture? I love this team. I, and I, Roman, you nailed it. I love the culture. We talked to Adam Duvall um, on Intentional Talk at MLB Network, and I said, you know, what's the culture like? And there's like, hey, man, this group of guys really loves each other. You know what I mean? And I think Alex Anthopoulos did a great job. You know, at the deadline, that we're all talking, hey, the Braves should just punt and get, you know, get some young prospects. And they went the opposite direction. You know, they went and got Solaire, and they got Peterson and Rosario, you know, and Duvall. And these guys have been huge down the stretch. 
Um, it just shows these guys are resilient. They never gave up. They were, they, you know, they were in the right division in the NL East, and they kept fighting. And that's, you see them in the postseason, same thing when they beat the Dodgers. It's a good club. They're, go, they're coming at you top to bottom. They got good pitching, and they got a great bullpen, which is a great recipe to win a championship. Sean Casey joining us, and you, my man, have a great podcast. I mentioned yeah. off the top you're hosting the Mayor's Office podcast. You are really good at this because it's the perfect medium for you. On a recent episode, there was a discussion of tipping hotels hotel staff for carrying bags case the allegation was back in the day you were tipping two bucks a bag set the record straight how did that first start what's the story oh my god oh my god bro we been it's it's a great story it's so funny looking back when i first got to the big leagues uh i was in my in my first road trip with the, with the white Sox. uh we were playing the white Sox. i was with the indians the 97 indians just a loaded team ramirez tommy these guys were loaded well jeff manta was a guy that got called up with me um, from AAA, so but he had already been in the big leagues like five, six years up and down. So I come down, uh, you know, on the, on the obviously on the, on the third day in Chicago, we got getaway day. So you bring your you know nine o'clock bus, get your bags down, boom, you're off, you on your way to the, the yard. Well, I come down, you know, full bag. I just come from Buffalo AAA seven days, and now I'm three days in Chicago, and I'm walking with my bag to the bus. And Jeff Mantos like, whoa, 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 Case, what are you doing? I was like, I'm bringing my bag to the bus. He's like, dude, this is the show. This is the big leagues. He goes, you don't touch your bags in the big leagues. I'm like, all right, next road trip, I'll, I'll do that. He goes, no, get back in the elevator, go back up to your room and call the bellman. I'm like, dude, there's seven minutes till the bus goes off. He's like, I don't care. So I go flying up there, Romy. I call down the bellman. I'm like, uh, Casey, room 318. The guy's like, I'll be right there. Bam, he brings my bag down. And I, and I say to Mick Manto, I say, I say to Jeff, I go, Jeff, what do, what do I tip the guy? I've never done this before. What do I tip the guy? He's like, two bucks a bag, bro. Two bucks a bag. So I had two bags. I give the guy four bucks. Boom. Boom. I'm, I'm on the bus, right? Well, here we go, bro. Fast forward six years later. I'm in the big leagues, right? I've been in the big leagues now six years. Adam Dunn, Ryan Dempster, and Austin Kearns come to my room. You know, I, you know we, we, we land in Chicago. We're back in Chicago again playing the Cubs this time. We're in my room. Guy brings up the bags. You know, we're hanging out, getting ready to go to dinner. And the guy shows up with two bags. I give the guy four bucks. <laughs> the guy, the guy uh, you know, gets ready to walk away, and Adam Dunn goes, did you give that guy four bucks? I go, yeah, bro, it's two bucks a bag. He goes, not when you're making $8.5 million, it's not. <laughs> so from then on, bro, I tipped. I was the best tipper. Those Bellman must have been like, oh, crap, man. We got Sean Casey coming up to give us two bucks a bag. Like, but, but, but after best. that day, bro, I tipped like a, if you came to my room after that, that moment, it was like, I was like, here's 200 bucks, bro. 200. I got six years to make up for two bucks a bag to all these Bellman. Here's 200 bucks a bag. Case, you are the best. <laughs> you are the absolute bleeping best. Dude, nobody better. Nobody better. Sean Casey, my guest, really quickly. So Ryan Dempster, he was, well, another guy who could tell a story. Not quite like you, but nobody can. But a great storyteller. He was on the pod recently. You guys played a round of golf together not long ago. How did that go for you? And more importantly, how did that go for Dempster's face? Oh, man, dude, you are the best, bro. You do your homework better than anybody in the world. I appreciate it. Dude, Dempster came in. He was coming in the mayor's office on my podcast. He was in town with the Cubs, so he was like, dude, let's go golfing. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Now, I'm not the best golfer, Romy. I like to get outside. You know, like the trees and everything, and, and Demp is really good. Demp's like a scratch golfer. You know, he's in late, uh, you know, low 70s, so I'm like, so I'm out there first hole. I'm on the fringe, and, Demp, and I'm like, Demp, what do I do here? He's like, dude, you should putt it. But I had a downhill lie, you know, and I'm not, a, like I said, I'm not a great golfer, so easy to, to shoot this thing back, and next thing you know, I'm on the fairway, you know. So, 
So I hit this great putt, Romy. Boom, it comes off. I mean, it looks unbelievable. It looks like, it looks like Tom Watson back in the day. Things just rolling down. Bam. Right. Goes right in the hole. And I'm like so fired up. It's early morning. There's dew on the grass. I come running. Dempster's like, it's somebody. So we come running at each other. And I think we're going to give it to you. Know, like, jump up. I just hit a homer. Like, jump in the air. Like, and like, and like, and, and go back to back. Well, I go up to go back to back and throw a high five. Demp doesn't jump. And I just elbow him right in the face. <laughs> Bam! And, like, he goes down. He's next thing he goes down on the green. I'm like, dude, you all right? I'm so sorry. I was, I was like the Sean Casey excited. He hit a 14-foot putt from the fringe downhill, you know, to get the day started. So Great. that was my opening opening hole with Ryan Dempster a couple weeks ago that here. So, so good, <laughs> Sean fat, Casey. Huge fat lift the rest of the day, like bleeding. I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry, bro. My bad. Yeah, but, dude, that was like a downhill break in the mist. Do 14 feet. I mean, that's a cheap price to be paid. He's lucky that's all that happened. And understandable, too. That was the biggest putt in the history of the world, and you made it. You rolled that thing in. I felt like it was. I felt like it was. I do hearing the story right now. Okay, so there's no way, before we wrap this up, there's no way you come on. I don't ask you about the Miracle League. A couple of weeks back, the Miracle League of the South Hills had its home run derby. How did that go, and how is everything right now with the Miracle League? Oh, Romy, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, Miracle League of the South Hills. We had these kids are unbelievable. We have 350 special needs kids. Um, we we uh, we had our home run derby that we just built our next inning project, which we had talked about before, where we built a, a concession stand as a job training facility for our kids with special needs. But the greatest thing, bro, is I'd love for you one day. Maybe Jim Rome shows up at the Miracle League of the South Hills for this home run derby with these kids. It is one of the greatest things you'll ever see. If you hit a home run at the Miracle League during the year, you qualify for the Derby. And it was just a perfect night. The sky was perfect, and these kids were out there playing. It just the joy and the and the gratitude that comes across from those kids in this field is is immense. It's beautiful, man. It's beautiful, Case. I appreciate the work so much that you do with them, and that's why I always love to talk about that because you can just feel that energy and the positivity. He is a 12-year Major League vet, a three-time All-Star. MLB Network is all over Game 6 and Game 7 if necessary, and then you've got the Mayor's Office. That's Sean's new podcast. Case, you are the absolute best. It is so good to have you back. Thanks for doing that, Sean. You're the best, Roman. No problem. Never tip two bucks a bag, bro. You might get punched in the face. Yeah, I don't want that, man. You got it. <laughs> nice job, Thank Case. You. You know who's always been a big, big believer in Mike White's ability to play football at the highest level? Mike bleeping White. That's who. How do I know? Because the internet does what the internet always does when somebody does something awesome and becomes an overnight sensation or a national story. And by that, I mean the trolls go searching through that subject's Twitter timeline. But instead of finding BS to hurt this guy, they actually found this gem instead. An 18-year-old high school senior, Mike White, in 2013 tweeted, and I quote, Peyton Manning, I hate to break it to you, but I'm going to break your record one day. End of tweet. How you like them apples, Pinky? That was tweeted right around the time Peyton Manning was throwing for an NFL record 55 touchdown passes in a single season. Let's just say that you are lucky that the 26-year-old former Western Kentucky Hilltopper just now got his first career start in week eight instead of week one, or right now he'd have a look at that. Am I right? Am I right? Easy. Relax, pink man. I'm just joking. My guess is this cat wasn't because that's the way he believes or that's the way he sees it. I'm joking, but I don't think he was. My man Mike White... 
believes in Mike White's ability to play ball. And right now, you got a hell of a lot of Jets fans who are believing in his talent as well. Hell, even the organization has to know it now, even if they didn't know it before then. And they must not have known it before then because they were so quick to make that deal for Joe Flacco after Zach Wilson went down. Hey, hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. My man, good news for you. Good news, bad news. Bad news, you're not getting on the field anytime soon. Good news, that will give you more time to learn the playbook. Because the only way you're getting on that field is if you yourself trip Mike White. And considering the Cincinnati Bengals and their top 10 defense couldn't stop this guy yesterday, good luck with you doing the same. Or anybody for that matter. I mean, that's real. There are debuts, and then there's what Mike White did yesterday. This guy put on a performance and a show for the ages. He completes his first 11 passes. He bounces back from a couple of first-half INTs and a neck injury and balls the hell out to go legend late. What I'm saying is the moment was not too big for Mike White. What I'm saying is the moment was actually Mike White's bitch late in the fourth quarter. This guy's down 31 to 20 with under five minutes to go. Mike White picks the perfect time to start landing significant shots. White takes the snap, four-man rush. Throws it left, Ty Johnson makes the catch. Left side, at the 10, at the 5, he's at the pylon. There it is. Ty Johnson for a touchdown. Jets radio. So they fail on their two-point play, but then on the first play of the next drive, Joe Burrow throws the ball right into Shaq Lawson's arms, and that puts the Jets on the fourteen. From there, you guessed it, White was looking for the Bengals' trachea. He finds it when he finds Tyler Croft in the end zone. Mike White takes the snap, drops back, looks right, looks left, fires in the back of the end zone, open is Croft, he's got it! That's a Jet touchdown! Tyler Croft all alone! Mike White finds him for the go-ahead score with 3.45 to go! Unbelievable! It was, too. 32-31. This time, their two-point conversion did not fail because Mike White stepped up again, this time with a Philly special. White takes the snap, gives to Mill. It's a reverse. Mike White wide open. They'll throw it to him. He's got it. Jamison Crowder on a little Philly special. Finds Mike White for two, and the Jets are up by three. Unbelievable, Bob. This dude, man. so happy for the Jets organization. 34-31. The Jets score 14 within a 51-second span and make the Bengals tap. Mike White finishes the game with three TD passes that converted two-point conversion, and get this, 405 passing yards against that same Cincinnati defense that shut Lamar Jackson down a week earlier. What I'm saying is, Mike White was not just good. Mike White was great. Dude threw for the most yards by a Jets QB since 2000. Since 2000, in his first career start. I mean, the shield is bleeping wild right about now. The Jets lost by 41 a week earlier. The Bengals looked like they were legitimate Lombardi contenders by giving the Ravens the hands in their crib. And then one week later, the Jets are icing the Bengals with a stadium chanting Mike White's name. I mean, wild, right? And Jets fan, don't worry. 
You're not the only one feeling it. Your head coach, Robert Sala, was as well. He named White the starter already for Thursday's game in Indy and left a question about White being their long-term answer wide open, open-ended. We'll Check out this response. We'll go day-to-day, but anything's possible, right? Anything's possible. So it's, it, it goes back to that whole theory of the difference between player A and player Z is an opportunity in reps. That's what this league is. That's professional sports. That's why they come out of nowhere. They Someone gets an opportunity. And what Mike does with his, his opportunity is he's got the world in front of him. He's just got to take advantage of it. Like he went with anything is possible. I mean, damn, coach. After one game? After one game. How'd that make you feel, Zach? And Jets fan, I'm not here to put a pinch of poop in your Mike White ice cream at all. I love the guy, and I love what I saw. But let me just flip this on its head for a minute. It's not the most reassuring thing right now, knowing that you've seen more from a dude who has been cut by five teams than the second overall pick in the NFL draft, right? And then for Sala not to shoot that down immediately was a little strange. A little strange. But Big Rob was not done yet. He was loving the win, feeling the win. Check these comments out when he was asked about the team and how good it felt and what the upside might be for this group. There's going to be days where we look like we should be a playoff team contending for a Super Bowl championship. And then there's going to be days where we don't look like we belong on a football field. That's youth. That's this young team. That's what's growing. And uh, this is going to be a group that, that, can, go, that can do something. Easy, coach. Great moment. Great win. And a young guy who was electric. But before we start talking about how you're going to contend some weeks for the Super Bowl, you did get waxed by the Pats by 41 last week and had the worst offense in football coming into yesterday's game. It's a big win. It was exciting, but I don't know. Maybe maybe we wait a few weeks before you start anointing this squad as a playoff and Lombardi contender. But I'm not looking to ruin this fun, man. This Mike White thing. Although you have a Mike White, you have an issue for the reasons I mentioned before. Just know this, man. He's not shocked. He's not shocked at all. This cat probably wonders why he has not been named the long-term starter already. He's probably already eyeing TB44's career touchdown mark by now. The hell with Peyton Manning's single-season mark. He's probably already looking at Tom Brady's career mark. Now, flip side really quickly for the Bengals. That would qualify maybe for the Jalen Hurts treatment. Yes, flush it and move on. I'm not going to shred you for coming from ahead to lose that game. Yes, you have to beat the Jets. Good teams beat bad teams. But in your defense, that was your third straight road game. You're coming off an enormous win. You're a young team. You're learning how to win. You're learning how to finish. You didn't get it done there. Flush it and just move on. We're going to flush it and move on. And you better hope that isn't one-off. And Jets fan, you better hope that Mike White's performance was not. And lucky for us, we all get to see them run it back on Thursday night. It's going to be a short week, which is good. Bruce Feldman. Bruce, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Jeff. It's good to have you, too. I want to make sure our connection is good, Alvin, so crank that up a little bit. Bruce, there's so many things to talk about. Let me first ask you about Michigan State. 
and how they came from behind. Down 16 in the second half to beat Michigan. How impressed were you with what you saw from them? Oh, I thought what Mel Tucker has done there has been really remarkable. Uh, you see, he really worked the, port, the transfer portal really well. He's upgraded the roster on both sides of the ball. And the guy he brought in from Wake Forest, Kenneth Walker the third, that running back who had five touchdowns against Michigan over the weekend, I mean, he right now would be the front runner for the Heisman. And this was a guy who only had one Power 5 offer, Wake Forest, out of high school. is a Tennessee kid who just fits what Tucker wants to do. He wants to be physical, and he's taken kind of that Nick Saban blueprint that he got from working under him at a couple of stops, and it's working really well in the Big Ten. He's got it, you know, he's, I don't think you look at that defense and say it's loaded with stars, but they play really hard. I think they're really physical. They don't make mistakes, and they have a run game that is big time. And the biggest thing that, having been around Mel Tucker, even back when he was in his first year and only year at, at Colorado, was the resolve that that team has. When they get down... They keep battling, and they keep battling, and I think you see it. Uh, I think they're 5-0 and in one-score games since he's been in East Lansing. It's a real credit to what he and that staff have been able to get accomplished. You know, I agree with you, Bruce. I, I love the guy. I love where he's at. I love him at that program. And to your point, it's a really good fit in that conference. However, when you're Mel Tucker and you're having the success he's having there, obviously the phone is going to ring. Like, would he be a fit in the SEC? Would he be a major candidate for LSU if you're, you're LSU and you're doing the hiring? I do think he is, from my reporting, uh, that he had been a Saban assistant at LSU in the early 2000s. He knows the conference well, because not only was he at LSU, but later on he was a defense coordinator at Georgia, and he was at Alabama. So he, he knows what it takes to win and recruit in that conference. Uh, from what I've been told, some really influential people at LSU are really pushing for Mel Tucker. I think he's a strong candidate for them. I still think, even though Jimbo Fisher uh, tried to steer clear of this talk and say how he plans on on staying at Texas A&M, from everything I've heard, uh, Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU, who was the one who hired Jimbo Fisher away from FSU, that he's going to keep pushing to try to get Jimbo Fisher. We'll see if he can get him. But uh, that's going to be an interesting horse race to see how it plays out because Woodward loves the splashy hires. Obviously, Jimbo would be that, but Mel Tucker's stock keeps going up and up and up. And this is his only his first winning season in three years as a head coach. But I don't know how you how you if you've been paying attention how you can't be impressed by what Tucker has one hundred percent. It's incredible. It's really, it's I'm really sorry. been impressive what he's done. Yeah, really, I agree. Sorry to keep stepping on you, Bruce. Bruce Feldman, my guest. I agree with you. I could not wait to jump in and agree with you. I, I think the world of the guy. What about the flip side? The rap on Jim Harbaugh, Bruce, of course, is he wins He wins a lot of games there, just not the important games, not the rivalry games, not the big games. How painful is this particular loss to Harbaugh and Michigan? Oh, it definitely stings because it's not just the issues he's had against Ohio State where he hasn't beaten them. It's even when Michigan State has been down. Now, this is a good MSU team, but last year they were down and they lost. I think in this game they were had a, a you know a decent sized lead. And if you are a Michigan fan, you're watching that. Even when it gets to thirty to twenty two and they're down eight, you're like, "Ooh, this doesn't feel good." And it's like, it, it honestly, it feels like those are the games that Michigan and give credit to the team that beat them, but tends to find ways to lose. I mean, there's a drop pass. They have a really terrific running back who. It's like a third and seven or third and eight. He drops a pass that looked like he could have gone for a touchdown if he can hang on to the ball. There was 
their their quarterback Cade McNamara played well, but there was a couple of throws that were just a little off that you think that maybe blow the game open if they if they can convert on them. And right now, I think what it comes back to is, and they have a terrific uh, defensive line led by Aiden Hutchinson. But I think when you look at Michigan, I mean, their receiving core is young and developing. Their quarterback is solid but not spectacular. I don't. I don't think the margin for error with with Harbaugh's team here. They don't have Ohio State's level of talent. I mean, I think they're they have good talent, but it's just not quite on the same level. And I think that's one of the things that has has held them back. They're a good. They're a legit top twenty team. It's just you know right now people are waiting. When are they going to be a playoff team? And it doesn't look like this is the year unless they can go on a roll and knock off Ohio State and and somehow end up winning the conference. We're talking to Bruce Feldman. Bruce, you also have a fascinating piece up right now on The Athletic about Dan Mullen and Florida. A really interesting piece. You and Alan Taylor, for instance, spoke to a dozen SEC coaches about Florida, and the quotes are pretty amazing. One coach said, quote, they play with zero discipline. They don't play hard. End of quote. That's an unbelievable quote. How damning is that, and then how much of that is an indictment of that particular coaching staff? Yeah, it, it, I mean, the stuff that we were hearing back from SEC coaches over the last week and a half was eye-opening. And look, you're looking at this team, and they are 2-7 and seven in their last nine games against Power 5 opponents. You're Florida. There's no excuse to not be better than that. And it's just been kind of mind-boggling because on one hand, you know, you see that they, they still have some talent, but the talent gap between them and Alabama and Georgia, and obviously Georgia's who really they're measured against, is sizable now. Kirby Smart has, has recruited at a ridiculously high level, and Dan Mullen has not recruited especially well. And one of the things you know, we heard a lot of is Dan Mullen does not look at recruiting as, as all-in and all-consuming as some of the guys he's competing against at the top of the food chain there. But the other thing that came up a lot is how undisciplined this team is. And so on one hand, they can play, they have enough talent where if they're locked in, they can play Alabama hard. But at the same point, there's no excuse for them to have lost twice in a row to the LSU team, which was like basically half a team that they lost to last year uh, in the swamp. And then this year again, when Ed Ogeron was basically dead man walking and had been fired, and they lost that game and got run over. And so when you talk to coaches around the league who watch them on film, see them in warm-up, see how the players carry themselves, and then you factor that in with the recruiting part. I don't think Dan Mullen is going to get fired this year, but he might if they end up struggling. They have a real easy last month of the season. If they lose to a a team like FSU, which is in total rebuild mode, I think it's going to be a harder sell for the administration there to say this program uh, we're, we're bullish on the future because right now everything we've seen from these guys is that this program is going backward and it is spiraling down. At the very least, I think Mullen's going to have to make some big staff changes, but it could be more than that if they keep sputtering down the stretch. Again, Bruce, those comments are really fascinating and damning, and so is that stat that you mentioned, 2-7 and seven in his last nine Power 5 games. Bruce, what about Scott Frost? How hot is Scott Frost's seat after their third straight loss in five in six games? It's gotten to be scorching, Jim, there. I, I think a couple of weeks ago, even when they had, had some close losses against some good teams, well, now the losses just keep coming. 
It's Minnesota, who's banged up. It's Purdue at home this week. You know, they had the Illinois loss. That was a dreadful loss at the start of the season. You know, his record, which I feel like everybody knows this stat, like in one-score games, he's 5-18 and 18 at Nebraska. And, you know, Count Me In is one of the people who thought this was going to be a terrific fit, and it just hasn't worked out. And I think Trev Alberts, who's the new AD, who like, obviously Scott Frost was a former terrific player at Nebraska, I think he was looking for every reason to not have to do a coaching search in year one. The problem is, here's what's left for, for Nebraska. There's Iowa, there's Wisconsin, and there's Ohio State. And they're going to probably be underdogs in all three of those. I, I think it's a tough sell to a fan base and say, hey, he went 3-9 and nine in year four, and we're going to give him more time. I, I think they would love it if he could find a way to at least give them one, one upset win to say, okay, it's starting to turn. But, you know, the, it's hard to sell close losses to good teams while you're losing to not-so-good teams. I think that's just, um, it's been kind of puzzling why it hasn't been able, why it just hasn't been better, but they keep, they keep stubbing their toe every week, it seems. So, Bruce, to that point, first of all, count me into, I thought that was a very good hire, and I thought that it would work out, but when you talk about how puzzling it is that it keeps happening, I, I hate to even pose this question because I love the program, and I'm a big fan of that state and the fans. But from a Nebraska standpoint, is there any part of you that would argue that if it can't work with Scott Frost, who can it work with? I mean, I hate to say it, but is it fair to question, has the sport maybe just passed Nebraska by? You know, I mean, people have said that about other programs, and it just takes the right coach at the right time to kind of to get it reignited. Um you know, the, the question is, and maybe, look, maybe Scott Frost, we just had too, too small of a sample size of only two years. He did a terrific job at UCF. He knew the state as well as any coach they could have gotten. And for whatever reason, and there's probably a bunch of them, it has not worked out. Now, maybe there's a chance that, you know, they'll, you know, things will line up and they'll finish with a little bit of a flourish and maybe they'll win one or two of the last three games and then there's at least a reason to give them more time. If not, if I was Trev Alberts, I would look not far, not too far away, but in a different conference and say, hey, you know what, maybe we ask Matt Campbell, can you do any more than you've already done at Iowa State? You had the best season in school history last year. They finished ninth. I know he didn't ha- he's not having as great a year as probably they were hoping they would have, but given the state of the Big 12 versus the Big 10, I would think you might be able to sell Matt Campbell as possibly an option to come in here because we know he's a guy who can develop talent, and we know he is a guy whose teams play really hard, and he's won some big games. You know, they've beaten Oklahoma. They've beaten some really good teams. And I, Iowa State, I mean, yes, the talent base, is the local recruiting base in Nebraska is not strong. Well, it's not great names Iowa either, but he's found a way to produce top 25 teams and if, if you're in Nebraska, if, if it gets to the point where you're like, you know what, I, it's just not working out for Scott Frost, I think that might be my first call. I would go to the guy who, who I think is recruiting you know, with similar challenges and making it work. Bruce Feldman, my guest. Bruce, one last thought, if you don't mind. I really appreciate your time. Since you and I last spoke, I bring this up. Since we last spoke, a number of head coaches have lost their jobs, the latest being Gary Patterson, who's out of TCU. Remember, he had a run of three straight top 10 seasons, then another run of three and four years, but it's been pretty rough since then. What is your sense as to what happened there? I just think that things got a little stale. 
you know, he he had still got some really good frontline talent, but you know, I from my understanding in the past week or so, the leadership of the university wanted to see what changes are were you prepared to make this off season if you're going to salvage this and get it turned around. I don't think they liked his answer. And you have a guy who, look, he's a legendary coach. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He's got a statue. You know, they wouldn't be in the Big 12 without Gary Patterson. But I think he, I don't think he wants to be told how to run his program. They wanted him to keep, to stay on and finish out the rest of the year. And he didn't want to do that. He felt like it was his best. Let me just step, step away now. And, you know, my guess is, from everything I've heard, that Sonny Dykes, who's not far away at SMU and still in the DFW Metroplex area, will be the guy that they're going to target to be the next head coach at TCU. And, you know, he worked there for a year. He knows the state of Texas well. I think he'd be switching from a defensive-minded guy to an offensive-minded guy. Uh, they've beaten TCU recently. So I think there's probably a good selling point for that. But I just think... Gary Patterson had been there for over two decades. That is a long time to be anywhere. He did a remarkable job, but I think they all looked and said, you know, I think it's time to make this move. And they, they just, you know, them getting whipped by Kansas State over the weekend was, was the final straw for them. No doubt. He is a reporter for Fox Sports. He is a national college football insider for The Athletic. He is the man behind the annual freaks list for The Athletic, which is always a blast. He is a New York Times bestselling author, Bruce Feldman, my guest. Bruce, great job. Really appreciate it. As always, thanks so much for coming back on. Always a blast, Jim. Thanks for having me. Great job, Bruce. Thanks so much. Good night now!